Welcome back to another edition of School Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined again by Chris and Adam. Guys, happiness again. You know, things were going really, really well for us here in the past few games. And and just another win here against Crystal Palace. And that I don't think any of us are uh, are, are upset about it. And, you know, third win in a row. Things are really rolling now. It was a, It was a little squeaky bum. Uh, but, uh, you know, leaving it late and smashing and grabbing at the end is one way you can win games. I'm not particularly arsed how they do it. I mean, I'm a little arsed in terms of long-term sustainability, but today I'll happily take the points. Yeah, and we'll get into this a lot, but, you know, seeing them come out there and actually win a game late like that, something we have not seen in a while and something I feel like normally turns out the opposite way. So Well and it's all, it's important for the fans too to have that kind of seminal moment that, that galvanized everybody. And yeah. the other thing that was just on a a broad level that was encouraging was Marco Silva managed that game as if he was down a goal, which was really encouraging and just a nice change of pace from our previous three managers. Yeah, and I was gonna say I was gonna say the same thing about how um, you know, it, it was a, it was a nice, it was nice to see a manager go for it in a game that we're tied, um, against the team that we should beat. Uh, that's a definitely, like you said, a change of pace and something we're not used to here, uh, as, you know, watching Everton over the past few years. But let's get right into things here. Start, uh, you know, getting deep into this Crystal Palace, um, game. You know, just, uh, you know, overview, we won two nothing. Uh, Dom and uh, Chank with the two goals, two subs. But a player that we have not seen all season, a player that there's probably been the most um, interest and question about, I guess you could say, Andre Gomesh in the lineup today to start the game. They dropped Davies, dropped Schneiderlin. Adam, let's start with you. What do you think about the decision to use him immediately? How was his performance and, and, you know, what, what is, you know, what's, what's to look at here with Andre Gomes? Well, I, I think the, the decision to start him, the, the, uh, the main concern with starting him was going to be that he didn't have the legs for it. Uh, I think obviously in retrospect, we can say that was a non-issue. He never looked particularly gassed, obviously. Uh, he came out uh with that double substitution in uh in the 82nd but up to that point he looked fine was not concerned about his fitness at all cuz it it just never really uh, appeared as an issue uh and and as you've rightly said Gino we've kind of looked to his debut with uh a lot of interest not necessarily because of his individual quality but simply because he represents uh a type of player that maybe Everton doesn't have in a, in a deep lying central midfielder who can more reliably progress the ball forward. Um, I thought he was decent today. We didn't see a ton of that work trying to progress the ball through the central channel. Um, it wasn't that he was ineffective at it. It was just that we didn't see a ton of it. So I think early returns have to be good with the understanding that maybe as he gets more integrated into the side, uh, we see maybe a little bit of shift in style if he's playing well and able to bring uh, an aspect that 
others have been unable to so far. There was one moment that stood out to me with regards to his passing. There was like an angled pass through the channel in behind to Bernard where I was like, oh, Tom Davies can't do that. Yeah, and I, I, I remember that moment too, and that definitely also, definitely also stood out. Just to a me. note re- regarding Gomez's fitness, he had not played in a competitive match since April the 17th. Yeah, and that's, you know, that was rightly, I think, why we never really considered the possibility that he would start today, uh, cause that's obviously a, a long time, and it's playing for Barcelona is obviously a different prospect altogether to to playing for Everton. You surely would have expected him to have to cover more ground for us than than he would have for Barca. But like I said, uh, and unless you guys disagree, he never really looked like he was winded or out of shape or grotesquely out of position because he was tired. He he looked like he just kind of got dropped right back into it, no problem. Yeah, I was I was frankly impressed because he looked completely up to speed and on, at the pace of a, a full-blooded Premier League game, if you will. And while I wouldn't say that he had really stood out necessarily, he's just got a different way about him on the ball than Tom Davis does. And he's he's got his head up and he's making quick decisions and not uh, kind of dallying or wasting time. And if you thought that we m- looked more confident in possession, I think that's probably one of the reasons why. Yeah, they, you can definitely see the promise of what he could be um, for this this team. And, you know, and I think that that was always the story with him at Barcelona as well, was that, you know, there was always a promise that he could be, you know, something really great. And it was just a matter of him uh being able to follow through on it. What I will say, you know, when we talked about him in the past, the the knock on him when he was uh, closing out at Barca was that he just looked completely bereft of confidence. And I don't think that that read that way at all today. Um, You know, maybe not a hundred percent at his sharpest, but you never really felt like uh, he, he didn't have a plan. He was concerned about turning the ball over or anything like that, which to me is honestly worth more than, uh, how impressed I was with his, with his physical fitness, because if he's got the mental side sorted out, uh, everything else you think will, will kind of follow suit from there. Yeah. And I think that comes with having a manager, you know, believes in you. And I, I think that them both being from Portugal doesn't hurt. I also yeah. think that knowing that on the training pitch, you're not looking at Sergio Busquets and Ivan Rakitic and thinking, well, there's no hope for me. I'm not playing. Yeah, yeah, a lot easier to get in front of uh, Tom Davis and Morgan Schneiderlin than those two. Fair enough. Yeah, and I, I think today's show, like you, like you guys have both mentioned already, it showed the promise. It showed, you know, obviously you're not going to come step into a squad that you haven't played in a competitive match for and, and go out there and prove all that you can do. It's going to take some time, but certainly showed that he has the ability. You know, he seemed, and, and the announcers mentioned it, he seemed comfortable out there. Even though he never played with these players in a competitive match, he seemed comfortable passing around and, and really, you know, going back to get the ball. There were a couple times where he found himself, you know, deep in that defense, grabbing a ball and then moving it outside to, to Dinier or, or Bernard on the left or, or, you know, Coleman on the right. Um, and he seemed comfortable and that's, you know, that's something we could desperately, desperately use. And I, I'd say overall, I like I think many people would be 
uh, pleased with his performance. But that does leave an interesting situation with the people that he knocked off, and specifically Morgan Schneiderlin. What does this mean for him? Is it, you know, does he, you know, Davies clearly um, overtook him as somebody that Marco Silva went with um, uh, alongside Gay when, when Gomes wasn't available. What does it mean for Schneiderlin moving forward? And Chris, we'll go to you on this one. So the thing with Schneiderlin today that concerned me a little bit more than him either not being in the lineup or or what have you was that Marco Silva elected to go with three out-and-out forwards on the bench instead of a second central midfielder when he knew that Gomez had been hurt. Uh, so the only midfielder on the bench was Davis. And that that kind of says a lot to me because Morgan's not been playing much and then given the option to include Schneiderlin as cover for Gomez and since they did decide to start him, he was just not even not even in there. I just I don't know that it's a situation where Marco Silva doesn't think that Morgan is talented or has been, you know, training well. I just don't think that Morgan plays the way that Marco wants the team to play right now. And I'd be interested to see if Adam agrees with that. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, er, early in the season, I think we were all kind of trying to get a feel for what Marco wanted to do. I think Marco was still trying to get a feel for what Marco was trying to do. Uh, and, and we saw Schneiderlin play uh, in some team performances that weren't necessarily great, but individually he, he looked all right. He looked more or less uh, like the player he was, uh, two seasons ago when, when he really impressed after he came, came to Everton. Um, but as, as the season progressed and, and, uh, Silva kind of focused more and more on trying to play a high press and, and play a little bit of a high tempo, um, that's just not Morgan's game. He's just not got the foot speed for it. Um, he's, that's just not the sort of player that he is. And I, I agree, Chris, that I don't think Silva does not think, uh, Schneiderlin is a good player. I think he definitely thinks Schneiderlin is a good player in the way that he spoke of him over the off season led you to believe that I think there was a, a time where Silva thought that Schneiderlin was going to be a key cog in the midfield. Um, but with things developing the way that they have with the team, having found a little bit more success playing a higher line and trying to, to play quick and, uh, and force turnovers. That's just not, um, not Schneiderlin's game. And I think, uh, Gomish gives kind of a, a little bit of a middle ground between Tom Davis, who is all energy and can't pass worth shit and Morgan who can pass, but don't ask him to run. Andre kind of comes in the middle and it gives Silva the, the best of both worlds to be able to still pl- play high pressure and, and try to win balls in the midfield and be active, but be able to find a forward pass after winning that ball. Yeah, and I and I am somebody who's defended Schneiderlin and will continue to do so. I really like the guy as a player, but if if we're seeing the team grow into the, a more defined style and they're winning games like they are, I'm also not going to complain if him, Schneiderlin being sacrificed is for the greater good. So, yeah, and you know we we talked earlier uh, about how, as you've said, we were a little bit doubtful ultimately about the uh, the decision to have Lookman. Uh, Shank and, uh, and Dom all on the bench and no Morgan. And, uh, well, it turns out that there is a reason that Marco Silva makes a lot of money to manage, uh, manage football matches 
and we are sitting here talking about him. Just, just, <laughs> just a assist goal and a goal from the three subs then. Yeah. So, uh, you know, credit to him. That's why we're here and he's there. Yeah. And real quick, guys, before we move on from this now, Gomez, obviously, he's on loan to us from Barcelona. Does, does Schneiderlin really have any future going forward because of that? Or do you think that in more likelihood than not, if we can't eventually keep Gomes after the season, uh, you know, we go out and buy a player to replace him rather than finding a way to fit Schneiderlin in here? I, I think if – go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I, I think that it's probably a little bit too soon to, to speculate. Andre Gomez is only 25, and he is not uh, – apparently not – Barcelona are not interested in kind of reintegrating him into the side. I would not be surprised if Everton made an approach for him permanently in the summer, if it if it works out, obviously. Um, and I think that the reason they probably did not was just a financial reason uh, this summer. But I would – Morgan Schneiderlin is going to play again this season. Um, I don't think that James McCarthy is going to be worth much. I'd also prefer Schneiderlin's experience to Benny Benigami. And so I, I would tend to say we can revisit that question in three or four months. Uh, but I, I will say that if if Gomez works out uh, and we're able to pick him up long term, I think at that point you are probably looking at no real reason to to hold on to Schneiderlin. And and as I've said, if if the style of play that we've seen over the past six weeks or so continues to be the way that Silva wants to play. Um, Schneiderlin will find, you know, some game time this year just because he's got quality. Uh, but I, I, I don't see him really being somebody that he looks to keep long term just purely because of play styles. But again, we're only what nine, ten games into the season yeah. now. Styles can change. Things can happen such that, that Silva will change his mind on how he wants his team to play and, and maybe he comes back in. But yeah, if the put- style stays the same. I don't see a place for him going forward, but that's yeah, a big to yeah. Put a, to put a to put a point on Gino's question, eighteen months from now, I would not be surprised in the slightest if Everton's midfield core is Gay, Gomez, Davies, and Benigami, and that's kind of the four that Silva uses. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with you guys on that, and I think you guys are are spot on with that. But moving now to a player who. Uh, who we, we have bought permanently in, in Richarlison. He started up top today and, and did not work. Let's just be plain and simple. It didn't, did not work today. And I'm interested to hear your opinion on, um, your guys' opinion on, on why it didn't work and whether it's time to go back to Chank and, um, and how you would approach that if it is. But, uh, just to, you know, start this conversation off a bit, I thought, that um and, and I'm interested to hear what you guys have on this. I thought that, you know, Richarlison's style of play, just because of the center backs like Sacco that he was facing today, I felt Chank might have been just better suited, being that he typically is better at backing down defenders, holding up that play, um and 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 really uh, being able to, to kind of dominate the the ball winning up there and holding up everything for the other players to get forward. And I'm interested to hear what you guys think about why Richarlison didn't work and, and whether it's time to go back to Chank. And Adam, let's go to you first. Uh, the reason that Richarlison did not work uh, up top today is that Wes Morgan does not play for Crystal Palace. Uh, <laughs> you know, he 
he obviously had a real good time uh, <laughs> against Wes Morgan. I, I had a real week. good time with Richarlison against Wes Morgan. <laughs> yeah, I think we all did. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, he he went up against, as you've rightly said, Gino, uh, center backs a, a little more athletic in, in Sacco and even, even in Tompkins. Um, and I think that Palace played with a more compact midfield than Lester did two weeks ago. And, and the upshot of that was uh, he was, Richarlison was able to find space in the center to operate uh, against Lester. Uh, Palace really sat, um, Milivojevic and, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank. And their, their other central midfielder, um, real deep. Cliate. Cliate, thank you. Uh, real deep in, in front of the back four. And it just didn't give Richarlison a whole lot of space to operate. And he's not, he's, he's not got the striker brain to say, okay, you know, I'm going to sit, sit in, in the right place and wait for my moment. So he did a lot of drifting out to the wings and he really just kind of more got in the way, uh, and crowded things when he got out into those wide areas that are so important for Everton as they're progressing from defense to attack. Uh, and the upshot was that he didn't really get on the ball a ton. When he did, he didn't have anywhere to go because he'd drawn a whole bunch of defenders into an already compact area. Uh, and, you know, the, the result is, is what we saw. Yeah, and I know definitely agree with that. Chris, uh, what do you have to say on this? I, I think that part of the problem is that Richarlison has a bit of Ross Barkley to him, and I don't want anybody to take that the wrong way. It's just that he has the tendency to put his head down and try to do it himself, which, I mean, in his defense, he's had to do that a lot. Like, I mean, he played on Watford, for Pete's sake. <laughs> but <laughs> you have to have the mindset that sometimes the simple play is the best play, and you can just move the ball along. You can send it back to Gomez or Ghana. You can just dink it over to to Walcott or to Lucas Denier, and it's going to be okay. It's better than turning the ball over or – you know, <clears throat> fouling a defender because he came in too hard. And I think that uh, despite the the fantasy of getting Bernard Richarlison and Gilfie and Walcott on the field at the same time, Richarlison's just not a striker, and that's okay. Like, he's a great player. But I I think as as good as it went last week, I think you saw the obvious flaws this week. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think that, that folks who want this to work, and I think that we would all like for it to work in in theory, um, will point to the success that he had there with with Brazil, uh, but it's just a different game. It's a completely different game with Brazil because you know they've got all that talent and flair out wide and in the midfield, and Brazil's not asking any of its strikers to go win a long ball, um, you know, against uh, against Sacco. That that's not how they're. They're going to play. They're going to play through the midfield. They're going to play through their real talented wingers. And then it's just going to be a matter of getting in on the intricate interplays and, and working from there. Everton would love to be able to be that team. And I think we're, you know, we're closer to that point than we were even six months ago. Um, but we're not there yet. And the team still very clearly needs a guy like Cenk, like Dom, who sometimes is just going to 
put his butt into a center back and say, give me the ball in the air, on the ground, whatever. I'm going to back a guy down and I'm going to work some space to get the other guys involved. And yeah, I know that we phrased the question as should Shank be brought back in. And I think that I ultimately do prefer him, but credit is due to Calvert Lewin who has looked awesome this season. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, we saw him a little bit out wide. It, it was really unfair to him. He, he played a couple of good matches up top. Uh, and then he got shuffled out wide because Richarlison, uh, tried to headbutt a dude. Um, and that was not great because he's not a winger, much like Richarlison's not a striker. Um, and he kind of drifted out of form because that's where he was playing and he's come right back in, played striker and hot damn, uh, he found the space and he is a no doubter on the, the header is a great finish. Yeah, can we get Michael Keane to just watch Dom head balls in training? Like, I think that would be helpful. He and Zuma both so many chances today on corners. Yeah, there was there was that one. There was the one that Zuma had a free header and he just skied it off the top of his head, and I was was like, "Come on!" And you know, there were two big guys too. (laughs) There was a point before we made the the double sub at the end where I was like, "Can we just bring on Gary Mina and?" Park him in the box on set pieces. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was something else watching that just because you know they're such big guys. And you know, you know they have the talent to put one in the back of the net because we've well, seen Keen, it before. Keen has done Keen, it. He did it. Yeah, Keane historically yeah. has been pretty good in front of goal in those kind of situations. So I don't know what the hell he was doing today. <laughs> well, exactly. I don't, exactly. I don't want to. I don't want to dampen the mood, but he did just break his head, and I mean That's that literally. Fair. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Fair point. Fair point. We'll let it. We'll let it slide for now. Um, <laughs> but no, just to uh, get back to the conversation of striker, I think you know it, it, we'll get to this more in in uh, the Manchester United preview. But you know the Richarlison thing, like we've said, works better when he has time and and the space to create. You know, this is just uh, um, you know today it was compact and. Probably going to be much of the same with that very compact, structured Manchester United defense. As we'll get that into that in the future. So, are we bringing uh, Chank? Are we bringing him back in the lineup? Is, have we come up with a a uh, definitive agreement here? Are we bringing him back? Are we bring in DCL, and we brought that up. Is he someone who we could bring in um, as opposed to Chank, or are we just going to you know stick with Chank and, and see how it works out? I will, uh, I'll, I'll plant my flag here. I'm dropping Bernard, putting Richarlison out left, Chink up top, and I like Dom's speed off the bench if we need a goal against those just utterly abysmal Manchester United defenders. I, uh, I, I agree with you that, uh, that Dom's speed is a potential game changer. I, I start him. You know, overall, I, I like Chink to, to Dom, uh, in most situations. I think, that Jose has and will continue to do mystifying things with his center back pairings. And most of them include being slow as the day is long. And I think, uh, you, yeah, uh, there's no reason to me to, to do anything, but play directly into that weakness. I want to throw as much speed up top and out wide as I can, and just try to overrun those those center backs. Obviously, you know, as as Gino said, you expect that United will, you know, sit deep because Jose is a dinosaur and I hate his guts. But <laughs> um, 
the, the ability to get in behind, I think, will maybe be more important than Shanks' uh, better build-up play. You can kind of you can kind of envision a scenario where Dom Speed catches like uh, I don't know, say Victor Lindelof in a Bill I crack Jones. my pants moment. Yeah, Chris Smalling. I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, Scott McTominay for reasons. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. We'll we'll talk about United later. <laughs> we'll talk we'll talk about that more. But the other thing, as we'll talk about more, was Bernard being on the bench too. Having that speed come off the bench will mm-hmm. probably be something that will benefit from. Um, with those, again, slow center backs. But getting back to Crystal Palace for now, what went, what went, we talked about what went wrong really in that first half, kind of, you know, Richarlison just, it just didn't work. What went right in the second half? What changed for them? And Chris will go to you on this. So I, I like to generally let Adam get into the more tactical nuances. The game kind of changed to me at two points, right? So when Jordan Pickford produced that penalty save out of his butt on Milivojevic, um, I think changed the mood around the team. Um, and it really changed Crystal Palace's mood too, right? Because I think that they felt like they could get something out of the game until Pickford denied them that stone cold opportunity after diving the wrong way and was still athletic enough to, to get back to it with his foot. And then I think it changed again when Silva brought Chink on and I forget what minute that was in. But he just, I could, check, I could check, but I think it was around the 77, 77 70, oh, oh yes, Chank, Chank was 67, the other two subs were later, yes. Yeah, and just his, just his technical ability on the ball and the fact that we, we kind of went to up top a little bit after that made a, made a big difference for me. Uh, the difference between the first half and the second half was that in the second half, we scored. Uh, <laughs> I just kicked the nuance over to you. Uh, yeah, no, I, well, and, and I, I, obviously I, I jest a little bit that that is part serious, part joke. Um, I, I don't think that the game plan still, and I feel like I say it every week, but it is what it is. It still doesn't really change. We're still looking to build primarily through the wide areas and we it really in the last 20 minutes or so, um, as you guys have pointed out, we really played like we were down a goal um, and we needed that that goal. And we just kind of went back to basics. It was lots of stuff out wide and crosses into the box. Um, and Silva got the the right guys in there to get on the end of them in Dom, in Shank. And he got Ade in there who even outside of the – Lovely cross that he plays on the first goal. Looked good, looked dangerous in those, those wide areas. And, uh, uh, it's really that, that change, that willingness to just say, we're going for it. We're going to go at this like we're, like we need, need this goal and to do it kind of in the brute force method, if you will, um, change things. Now there's a whole other conversation to be had about, needing to go to the brute force method for the last 20 minutes against Crystal Palace mm-hmm. at home. Um, but credit to Silva when that was needed that he said, that's what we're going to do. And we've got the tools here to, to implement that. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talked about it at the top, how that's something that we don't see a lot and, and something that, you know, is a f- great sight for us because we, for so long, I feel like we've been, asking for that and in every game that we kind of just hold on to a tie against a team we should beat and don't really go for it we come away mystified at that and 
this game, we went for it. We went for the, the win and, and it worked out. And just, you know, this again, going back to, you know, what you were saying about how we like to play up those wide channels, you know, Dom, I believe he has four goals between the league cup. I, I, I just looking it up. He has four goals between yeah. the league cup and premier league this season. Two of those are off of headers. If I'm not mistaken, you know, he has been, well, you know, you need a striker who can, you know, get up there for those balls and put them in the back. And then he's been, you know, I mean, obviously he hasn't had much time to show it, but he's been pretty efficient up there, you know, doing that. So that also may be, may play into a decision we may see down the road, I would and think, because with, we like to put those balls in the middle. The thing with Everton strikers right now is it's a little, it's a nice kind of contrast and the chink is just really good technically and on the ball. And Dom is just has athleticism for days. No, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I, I think that, that you raise a, a, an important point here, Gino, about, about Dom's ability uh, to, to get on the end of crosses. And I think that we've, we've talked about it before, but it's worth restating, um, that Richarlison, for all of his strengths, is a piss poor distributor of the ball. He's not a good crosser. He, maybe he has the technical ability to, to be a good passer and his decision making is just crap like we saw today. Um, but it is something that you have to think about when we're talking about Dom up top. Dom is going to be at his best when you've got two wingers and two fullbacks in there who can whip in a cross at any time. And Richarlison can try to whip in a cross, but he's just not consistently proven to me that he can do that successfully. And it complicates things when you go to the late stage tactics that we went to today. Um you know, and it was Ade, Ade, Adam Lookman was, you know, had started on the right. He ultimately was on the left because I think it was after a set piece or, or something uh, and made that cross from the left. But that's not a cross that Richarlison makes. No, it's not. Also, that cross got me pregnant. So, uh, Oh, yeah. Problem. Oh, it was, um, <laughs> it was good. It, it does. Uh, I just want to provide a, a brief moment of levity in that we've kind of crept on Richarlison's performance today. And while that is completely justified, uh, He's still probably the most important attacker in the team, and he's not in any danger of being dropped. I wish he would stop being such a bastard with, like, the flying elbows and the headbutting and stuff, but he's one of the main building blocks in this team going forward, so I think in the end, Marco learning how to use him best is is pretty important, and I believe it was actually Richarlison who managed to get the ball out of his feet and get it to Lookman on the on the game winner. Yes, the ball, yeah, the ball definitely came. I think, I think you're right on that. But nonetheless, let's, you know, perfect transition into Lookman. We, I mean, I don't know what you guys thought. My personal opinion was that played pretty well today, and I'm interested to hear you guys can feel about him. Adam, what's our assessment of Lookman? Has it changed recently? You know, how did you feel today specifically how he played and, what it looks like for him going forward. Well, his performance today really um, was about what we would have thought that we would get from him uh, at the start of the season Um, to be able to come on, you know, in a, in a second half of a game, bring some pace, bring some guile um, and be able to, to whip crosses in, into the box and, and hopefully find a target. Uh, The performance is only, 
interesting in that it's it's the first time that we've been able to see with our eyes uh him look like that player you know the the word was that 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 he looked good against uh against Southampton but uh, we were not at Goodison Park that day and we don't live in China mm-hmm. so we didn't get to watch that game um but we did today and whatever Marco Silva has said to him has has clearly worked because he looks like a player who wants to play the game for the team that he's playing on. And when he has that, there's no doubt what he's capable of. Our RB Leipzig wouldn't have spent their entire summer trying to chase him down. Yeah. And the interest, one of the interesting things about Lookman to me is that he provides Everton have four just really good wingers right now, but he provides something a little bit different. Walcott's one of the most direct wingers in the league and Richarlison is kind of a bully. Lookman he is obviously very quick and blur, but he's also a lot more productive creatively than than the um, Richarlison or Walcott are. So you when you when you bring him on, you're not really necessarily looking for him to score the match winning goal. Although I think that he probably can. He's he's going to look to do things with the ball and play people into space that the other guys are not. And and he has that. The thing about Lookman and some of what we saw when we first got him is that he has the confidence go forward and take on defenders and open up space. Yeah, it's um, like if, it's like if Yannick Bolassi were 12 years younger and good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and Adam just to go back on your point also we're seeing a confidence out of Lookman and and kind of a willingness out of Lookman that we haven't seen all season that we were hoping we were going to see out of all out, out of him to start the season. Um it looks like he's finally, you know, again, we had we didn't see him against Southampton. So we don't know how he was then, but this was really the first time that we have personally been able to watch him play out there with confidence and play like he wanted to play for and, Everton, and that is and yeah, something that we could we we love. Yeah, and and I I don't I don't necessarily think that his confidence was was ever waning. In fact, I'd sure, say sure. that the lad probably has a lot of confidence if he was willing to basically bitch out for a month at a time at a decent club in Europe in Everton to try to force a transfer to another one. Well, he clearly you've got to have some pretty big balls to be able to do that. And you got to think pretty highly of yourself. So uh, it's good to see the willingness and the effort to go along with that confidence and skill. And that we definitely saw from him today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, that's, I, you know, yeah, go ahead, Chris. No, I was just going to say then Adam pointed this out to me earlier that Perhaps some of that confidence is coming from things like after the match, Addy got a, got a hug from Marco Silva and some what appeared to be obviously encouraging words and from a couple teammates as well. And those are the kind of things you didn't see last year. And for a guy who is Lookman's age, those types of things really go a long way. Um, in addition to his natural ability, if you're, if you're just being told that, you know, we want you here and that goal was, Dom scored it, but that goal was yours. Yeah, and I, you know, again, plays into that, you know, like you said, Adam put it perfectly with the willingness and effort out there, and I'm sure that that helps him um, gain more willingness and want to play for a team that's surrounded him and and takes him in, especially at such a young age. But, um, you know, before we wrap things up here, I think it's worth mentioning Another clean sheet, another strong defensive performance by both 
uh, by both Keen and Zuma there in the middle, which, you know, now we have Yerimina back in contention to be in the starting lineup. What does this mean for him? Um, how do we move? I mean, obviously we've talked about this. I feel like we all agree that Keen and Zuma are, are the players going forward for the foreseeable future, but it's bad news for Yerimina. What, what role does he play now? Uh, with this, these strong defensive performances game after game? Well, I, I, I think what we've seen, uh, what we saw today was good open field defending for pretty much 90 minutes, save for Seamus Coleman kicking Wilfried Zaha for reasons. It and should, one or- it should <laughs> just, and I hate to interrupt, but it should briefly be noted that penalty aside, I thought that Coleman being in for Kinney was part of the reason we were so much better defensively. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, 100%. Anyway, it's less interesting to talk about the right back because he's obviously superior, whereas at center back, there's a little bit of competition. Yeah. Um, and we had one or two dicey moments um, on defending set pieces. But I think in, in open play, we've been very good, even when you go back to the Arsenal match um, where uh, we, we gave up a, a worldie to Lacazette and then one bad one in the immediate aftermath. But Really, oh, outside of that, offside. yeah, and there's there's that too. <laughs> uh, outside of that, you know, the the only real open goal, the uh, open play goal, excuse me, that we've given up was uh, against Leicester, where John Joe Kenny just, uh, I assume, had a stroke uh, out on the field, and you're certainly not going to pin that on the center backs. So for me, the calculation, if you're Silva, is do I risk breaking up what has been a very good combination in open play by bringing in Mina if I think he's going to do better for us in defending set pieces. Uh, there's a world in which I think you can argue that that calculation is, is one that, that you've got to make, that you've got to, you, maybe you do want to do that because you think that the open play drop off with Mina isn't going to be, be significant. Well, but to me, that's, that's the only reason that I would make the change at this point. And I'm going to kind of play devil's advocate to that mm-hmm. and say that the issue with set play defending is not necessarily one of physicality or size, which you would get an upgrade with with Mina. I think it's just, A, not being used to the zonal system, but B, just a communication thing, um, which Mina is not going to improve. He might even make worse if he's not been playing with these guys um, at all. I kind of see, I would just stick with Keen and Zuma as long as it keeps working and you which kind of sucks, right? Because Zuma's on loan, and by all accounts, we're not going to get to keep him permanently, whereas Yuri Mina's young, and we've made this massive investment. But the uh, you kind of see Mina's involvement starting with maybe if you go up a goal and kind of want to switch to a back five, possibly, or if, if somebody gets hurt. And, I mean, he's obviously going to play. Like, that's not an issue, but I'm not breaking up this this current pairing anytime soon. Yeah, I gotta agree with you there on that, Chris. Just because chemistry again is so important for those center backs, especially in a zonal marking system. And I think, well, and it's it's kind of refreshing because of the center back pairing roulette that we went through last year, and so, even yeah. at the start of this season with the injuries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah, it's definitely R.I.P. Mason Holgate. I know Adam hates to hates to see that, but oh uh, uh, yeah, hate to see that. But I yeah, it's it's hard to see a way back uh, for Holgate or Jagielka at this point. Uh, just because Zuma and Keen have been good and, and Mina is obviously the next guy up there. 
Yeah, absolutely, Adam. And before we get into the Manchester United preview, you and Rachel were able to talk earlier in the week about the Everton ladies and how they've been doing. So for our listeners, before we get into everything else, here's a little insight into how our ladies have been doing over the past couple of weeks. Hello, listeners. We are back again this week with an Everton ladies update. Uh, this is Adam and Rachel coming at you. Say hi, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Oh, God, I set you up for that. <laughs> how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. I'll be better when we've talked through uh, some of the trials and, and tribulations of the uh, the Everton ladies season so far. Yes. Well, we're we're both happy because Everton men won, so that's, that's there was no Everton ladies game, which is annoying. Um, yeah. But it would have been cool if there were two. Um, yeah, we're still waiting weekend. for the day that they uh, that they can both win on the same right? day. But of course, that would require the ladies uh, winning, wouldn't it? <laughs> that you're right. You're right. Let's not get let's not get too depressed before we even start talking about anything, huh? Um, Good idea. So I think the the natural place to start uh, is the last two matches that the uh, the ladies played before before they were off this weekend. Kind of uh, a mixed bag, as it were. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, they played at home against Chelsea. Normally a uh, a pretty solid team, the Chelsea women's, but uh, kind of a, a weird year for them. Is that not right, Rachel? Yes, very strange. Um, last year they were dominant. They were unbeaten. They were the champs. Um, this year is completely different. They're, you know, they're in the Champions League, but also quite a few of their um, – they lost a few of their players to going on to, you know, now the game's opened up. It, it, they can go to other countries and good stuff like that. So they've lost a few of their players, um, but still they're Chelsea, and they're having the most bizarre season in that they draw. Not only do they, they draw, <laughs> they draw nil-nil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just so weird. Yeah. Zero, and zero. that was uh, that was the fate that uh, befell Everton and Chelsea when they met uh, the last week of September. Uh, it was perhaps predictably, I, I guess, when you think about some of the issues that the EFC ladies have had scoring and that that's just the way that Chelsea operates. Uh, a, a nil-nil draw against Chelsea, certainly at the start of the year, I think um, I think we would have taken uh, – Without without a whole lot of hesitation, uh, given what our expectation of what Chelsea would have been, uh, but do you do you feel a little bit like with their struggles, are, are are those dropped points, or should we still be happy with the one that we got? You know, at the time we were so happy, we're like, oh my god, we drew <laughs> um, against Chelsea. That's so exciting. But yeah, now that they've had four nil nil draws and Chelsea are in seventh place out of eleven, I. It is, it's great. You know, Everton have two draws. They have two points. So it's great. It's, it's, it's not great. It's good. It's better than losing. But actually, um, the manager, Andy Spence, thought that, um, it should have been 1-0. There was, there was a goal that, um, the 
they Everton believes was behind the line, um, but the ref called it, um, called said that the goalie had gotten it before across the line. So, in a way, if there was VAR, uh, we could say maybe it was one zero. Um, so I, I think they played well. I, you know, it it, it it's good, um, not amazing, but I will take it. I will take a, a draw against Chelsea, even the Chelsea in seventh place. I'll take it. Yeah, and you know, as we've talked about uh, last time, and it still remains true. At the end of the day, um, the precise point total in in uh, WSL play is is probably not going to be hugely important for Everton uh, because they're mm-hmm. not likely to push the the top two or three and Yeovil Town still looks very much like uh, the team that's going to get relegated through five matches. Yeovil Town is 0-5 with a minus 14 goal differential, um, and only yeah. one team gets gets relegated this year. So in terms of the hope of building to the future, you know, yeah, that's that's maybe a, a result that, that you can feel good about, even if you might have wished it had gone otherwise. Uh, but the other result in recent weeks, I think, is one that we can a little more confidently feel uh, negative about. Not that that's a good thing, but you know what I mean. Uh, tell us <laughs> about what happened uh, against Brighton and Hove Albion uh, in the ladies' last time out. Yeah, so this was another home game. Things were looking great. It was a really good game. It was on um, Facebook for everyone to see. Um, they, they, the WSL the WSL chooses only, I think, like two games per week, uh, one or two per week to to broadcast over their Facebook page. And Everton happened to be the game that week. So it was a really good game to have um, broadcast because it was it was well matched, um, which you would you would kind of want Everton to be playing better um, than than a well-matched game against Brighton because Brighton are newly brought up into the league. So Everton have been in back in the top tier for a season. Brighton have just come up, um, and and it was about a 50-50 possession. Um, but Everton looked like they had it in the bag. Um, they were up 3-1. I believe it was around like the 75th minute or so. So I was like, oh, this is great. You know, everyone was like okay, Everton have this. This is this is an easy win by now. And, and that um, was after having come back from down one nil, right? Brighton got a pretty early one. Yes, yeah. So that was it. Was good that they fought back. They got two in the first half. Um, Gabby George, the defender, she had scored right before um, the end of the first half. So it things were looking really good, three to one, and then. Um, the manager of Brighton, who was the um, was once the manager of England, Hope Powell, she brings on Ellie Brazil. And if if you haven't, I know we've seen it, but if anyone listening has not seen this yet, try to go um, for the the match report that um, we put up afterwards. It has footage from Brighton where it shows. Um, Ellie Brazil, she comes on and Brighton twice in a row get, um, um, penalties, um, fouls. Um, they get to take a, a shot. I think it's just like, 
around. Yeah, it was a free kick both times out on the yeah. left. A free kick from maybe 35 yards out. It, it certainly wasn't like it was in real tight. Right, exactly. It, it did. It, it looked pretty far away, um, and it, but it would look about to be the same exact spot. And they do the same thing both times, pretty much. They they kick it long, and um, the first time there was someone else that that touched the ball first, and then Ellie Brazil um, had in the ball at the far post. So they they um, then it's like, uh oh, three two. Well, okay, we're still up. Then only a few minutes later, the same exact play, like. Um, from the same exact spot, and this time um, Ellie Brazil heads it in right off right off the free kick. So, and it's like the same exact spot, and it's insane. If you watch the two goals consecutively, I really did think it was a replay. The only way I could tell was because there was a different celebration afterwards, and I was like, wait a second, what? So, so yeah, she scored basically almost the same exact. Um, goal um, it, within yeah. a few minutes. So and, then and it was three three. Marking was just it was putrid. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, that she got as open as she did at the back post twice in three minutes. Uh, the goals were in the seventy fifth and and seventy eighth. Uh, it's a problem for a team that you know isn't going to score a lot of goals, you cannot be giving up cheap ones like that. And they gave up two cheap ones to a team that isn't very good, and, and they right. paid the price. You know, that's 100% that is two points dropped rather than, than one point gained. Uh, Brighton came into that match um, having not not won or tied yet. Uh, right now, after that game, they've now played six matches. Uh They've drawn the one against Everton and, and lost five. Um, yeah, so it hurts. As, and again, as, as we've said, uh, we're not yet truly concerned about the, the potential of, of getting relegated just because of how bad Yeovil Town is. Um, but mm-hmm. if you're trying to build yourself forward and you're trying to go from being a team that's at the bottom of the table to a team that's at the middle of the table, Brighton's a team that you've got to beat. Um, and on really, you know, simple, silly, uh, defending errors, uh, they lost, you know, they, they lost two points. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the manager of Everton was, was angry. He, he looked at it as a loss and the manager of Brighton looked at it as a win. So, and it was, um, Ellie Brazil almost had a hat trick. Um, she almost had a third after that. It, it wasn't the same exact thing again, but um, um, our um, Everton's goalie had a save. So that's good. If it would have been a loss, that would have been really bad. But um, the, the way, because I have noticed that um, Everton ladies do give, they do concede on um, on corners um, usually. Um, but the way the manager spoke about it afterwards in an interview was he said he wants to stop away, stop giving away stupid fouls. So he was, you know, he didn't like that the fouls were given in the first place. Um, so I mean, alternatively, you could just like be within five yards (laughs) of the opposing team striker at the back post because, uh, 
Right. Uh, the, the, you know, obviously, yeah. if that is a good message that, you know, you don't <laughs> want to concede cheap fouls. And that's true. But right. uh, I mean, watching watching the goals that were conceded here and mm-hmm. I'm not worried about the fouls. I'm worried about a striker literally having nobody within five yards of her on a simple set piece at the back post. Uh, that's right. much more problematic than uh, than than the, the giving away of a foul. Um, yeah, I'm hoping they, they they worked on that. Apparently, Everton had an uh, behind closed doors friendly um, this this weekend. Of course, they're not giving any details. I would love to know. Um, but but yeah, I'm I'm hoping that was something that they they worked on specifically. Yeah, and uh, you know that kind of that is definitely one thing that they're going to have to look to improve. Um, if they're going to try to move past the Brightons and the West Ham's of the world kind of into that, that mid table status, uh, West Ham is, will be, uh, will be Everton's next opponent. Uh, they play mm-hmm. next Saturday, uh, October 28th. Uh, West Ham is a newly promoted, promoted in, in air quotes. They were selected to, uh, to join the, the top division this year. They've gotten off to, a relatively rough start as well as you'd expect for a, a new side, uh, a win, a draw, and a loss through five matches. Uh, it poses uh, another interesting challenge for Everton as they, they face up against a team that they surely look to and say, you know, this is a team that we want to prove ourselves to be better than. Definitely. And actually, if Everton had gotten all three points in their last game, they would be – um, above West Ham on the table, just above them. Um, yep. And Liverpool women just beat West Ham um, today, 1-0. And guess who scored? Uh, was it Courtney Kirk, uh, Sweetman-Kirk? Yep. Everton so star striker that left the season for Liverpool. So I'm hoping I, – I actually think Everton and Liverpool are pretty um, equal in terms of um, what – their quality. I really do. Um, they are further up the table, but when they played in preseason, they they tied. They, they It was a draw. So I'm hoping when we play West Ham, I hope we can at least beat them 1-0. to zero. Yeah, and that's, uh, like we said, if if you want to prove that, that you're a team that belongs in this division and not one that is in it because the FA was trying to fill out the numbers, uh, these are the mm-hmm. sorts of matches that you have to win. Um, so that will be an interesting one, and I think could well be a, a match that tells us a lot about what the rest of uh, this season is going to look like. Um, I want to get one more one more thought from you, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we've said, we're sitting towards the bottom of the table. Um, there have been, without a doubt, some positive performances uh to this point uh give me one or two players who you think are players that that can be the difference between a bottom table Everton and a mid table Everton when we get to the end of the season definitely so the the new name this season would be Anessa Kogman Kagman I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that um, she's Dutch correctly she's Dutch <laughs> Um, she's, she was signed, um, newly signed over the summer. She's a midfielder. And I'm in an interview with the captain, Dan Tanner, Turner, before this 
season. Dan, Danielle, she had mentioned that she believes Anessa is going to be the standout this season. Um, so I believe her. I think Anessa is is a game changer. She's already scored one league goal. She scored one cup goal. Um, I I think she can if she continues scoring, that's great. Um, also, Chloe Kelly, who was a top goal scorer last. Uh, season I think you know she she scored in the last game so hopefully she's she this will start a streak and she will keep her goal score scoring up so if those two continue um scoring I think those are the two to watch yeah and you know as as we said uh last time we we chatted we knew that the goals were going to be uh, a little hard to come by for this group so I think that that they got the three goals against Brighton and that they got them, you know, in different ways, one from Cogman, uh, one from Kelly and one on a set piece uh, through Gabby George is really positive, mm-hmm. even not, you know, even given the the quality of the opposition in that game. And, mm-hmm. you know, with matches coming up against, uh, against West Ham and against Yeovil, mm-hmm. we're really looking at an opportunity uh, to, to differentiate ourselves uh as a, a mid-table club. So hopefully next time you and I chat about this, uh, <laughs> that will be the case. Uh, thank you as always, Rachel, for joining us and, uh, and lending your insight. The, uh, the Everton ladies continue to be, um, a very interesting, uh, a very noteworthy and a sadly, um, under publicized at times, uh, part of the the Everton family and it's nice to be able to to get to chat about them uh, a little bit definitely yeah and I'm hoping um there will be some more games on Facebook hopefully when we get news about that we can post about that the the new slew of um television televised games do not have any Everton ladies listed there but so I'm hoping there will be more because it was an entertaining game I have to say it was it was a good game, so I'm hoping um, there will be some coming up. Sounds good, and I'm sure that we will talk to you again soon about the Everton ladies and hopefully with uh, with a couple of wins under their belt. So thanks again, Rachel. Uh, coming up next, uh, Gino, Chris, and I will take a look at the upcoming Manchester United match, so stay tuned. Thank you, Adam and Rachel, for that. It's always good to hear a little bit about, uh, you know, how the Everton ladies are performing each week. And we got that from you guys, so we appreciate it. But going on to next weekend against Manchester United, uh, I believe this is our, is this our first match against one of the top six? Um, oh, the second match actually, because we played Arsenal. Um, well, Arsenal being part of the top six is really just kind of a, a fever dream, but yeah. Well, 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 United aren't even part of the top six, right? Aren't they? They're like tenth. They are tenth. Yes, they are tenth. We actually are a point above them in the table uh, (laughs) at the end of proceedings today. So, so who's who's the real big club, really? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think you'll have any argument from us here, um, but that might be a little bias, also. But like you mentioned, Adam, tenth in the table for United after their two-two draw against Chelsea. I mean, we could get into this a little bit right here, just talking about that game. There was so much to talk about, whether it be Martial getting a couple goals, Barkley scoring, and then, of course, you know, uh, Jose trying to fight a guy, which, you know, I mean, 
makes for good TV anywhere. It, you know, it was yeah. just overall a wild game, but what did you guys see really from it? Um, and then, you know, I guess we could talk a little bit about some of the things that, you know, for instance, Ross Barkley or Jose finding a guy that may not pertain to our game, but are fun to talk about. Yeah, I just want to point out that a match that involves uh, Jose Mourinho being the main story and where Ross Barkley scored the game-tying goal is my per- own personal hell. <laughs> oh, God. I, I, I just, okay, I just need to do that. By the way. Adam could have finished Ross Barkley's chance. It wasn't good. Like <laughs> Something yeah. to be said for being in the right place at the right time or, or something like that. I don't know. Which is the first time that's ever happened in his career, by the way. That's true. Broken clocks uh, <laughs> right twice a day and all that. Uh, it was, it, it was uh, you know, I was when I was watching the game, I had looked down for a little bit, wasn't really paying attention the last couple minutes of the game, and then all of a sudden I look up and I see somebody running away from goal in a Chelsea jersey, and I was like, has to be Barkley, isn't it? Then they pop up with his face. I was like, of course it is. Of course it's Ross Barkley. Let's, I mean, let's be fair here though. Uh, Ross Barkley would not get into the Everton first 11 right now. Just for the record. No. And I right? no. agreed, agreed. Yeah. Uh, I would take agreed. Gomez over him. Uh, he's got more talent than Davies, but based on what we need from that position, I would take Davies over him as well. He's obviously not a swap for Ghana. And he's certainly not getting in ahead of Gilfie. So, you know, let's, we can at least rest easy knowing that. <laughs> but I, 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 I do think it's remarkable as we try to get back towards Manchester United instead of right. uh, talking about a Chelsea player that Jose <laughs> Mourinho has found a way to become even more insufferable. I, um, I hate Jose Mourinho. So goddamn much. I just don't know what to do with myself. Every time he opens his friggin' smug mouth, I just want to punch him. Cause you know, he's not gonna say anything as substance. He's gonna mutter some stuff about the guy he's playing against, or the referee, or the player who didn't show up, and he's, he's a friggin' child. And he's a child who's depriving us of what should be maybe the most one of the most interesting teams in the league to watch by trying to have them sit deep, and it's not even working. They've given up 16 goals in nine games this season. That's six, The only teams that have given up more goals than Manchester United this season are Burnley, Cardiff, Fulham, and Huddersfield. Uh, relegation candidates, it should be noted. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's my piece on uh, Jose Mourinho. So... Uh, he should be sacked. He should be outlawed. He should be sent to an island to live by himself and think about what he's done. Possibly, <laughs> possibly drawn and quartered. Um, yeah, I mean, no, I, <laughs> uh, no, I'd rather he have to think about what he's done. Do you think that Jose Mourinho <laughs> thinks though? Like that's a pretty big jump. Well, then I'll then let him live on an island by himself, just stewing more and more about how wronged he's been by society. Even better. That sounds like more suffering. But yeah, oh, I, I mean, I'm completely with you. Not only has he ruined the game of football as we know it in terms of taking this marvelous set of attackers and making them do horrible things, he just has to make everything about himself. And it's been covered relentlessly over the past couple of days. But to go after a Chelsea staff member who is just celebrating a goal that a really important goal as it turned out is just really ridiculous right because 
we've all celebrated goals like that or celebrated sports moments. I guarantee you that that Chelsea staff member had no idea he was celebrating in front of the Manchester United bench. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um, see, I don't know if I agree with you guys on that, and 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 that's maybe just me, and maybe just watching the coverage after the game where they uh, kind of really dialed into it. But I, I just, it, I don't know. To me, it felt he went by there the first time. Um, you know, he came. He, I don't think that Mourinho should have reacted the way he did because. Granted, it's a heat of the moment thing. Things happen. And again, you're right. We've all celebrated in a manner in front of, in, in a manner like that and possibly in front of the wrong people. But I think uh, yeah, that he definitely. might have known. Yeah. And I, I think he might have known a little bit more about it. Um, and, and knew a little bit of what he was doing. And I, I think, I think it could have been, um, done a little bit more tastefully because it looked like he came pretty close to Jose Mourinho as he was, you know, there's, the sideline's I mean, small, I, but it's not that small. <laughs> I see your point, Gino, but like it's Jose Mourinho. I would have done the same thing. Yeah, that's uh, true. Fair I, point. Fair point. I would have too. Fair I would have actually been way, way worse about it. I would have gotten right up in his face, but that's neither here nor there. I think the, the as much as I would love to just crap on Jose, the the larger point here is his effectiveness as Manchester United manager and kind of what we're going to face on Sunday. And he's he's kind of playing a style which is just it's outdated in terms of the rest of the top five or six in the Premier League are not playing this way. Everton are not playing this way. Leicester City don't play that way. Um, even West Ham don't really play that way. And it, while it is a little bit classic third year Mourinho, like this is always the year with his teams that he goes downhill and loses his mind. Manchester United, I. I really don't want to let the words come out of my mouth that are, I feel bad for Manchester United, but in a way I do just because they have more resources than anyone else and better players than almost anyone else. And you're getting this. And the moral to that story is this is a winnable game for Everton on Sunday. Oh, a hundred percent winnable game because, you know, even uh, obviously, you know, the, they, they beat Newcastle before the break three, two. And I think that the, the lesson from that, that Newcastle game, which I think might even be more important than anything that we saw uh, against Chelsea, um, is that when Mourinho sets up this team, this group of players, to attack, what happens is what we saw in the last 20 minutes against Newcastle, where he threw on his attacking players and he said, go for it because he was down two goals. And what happened? All of a sudden, they became a completely different team, an interesting, exciting team that was capable of scoring, you felt, at any moment. And they got three in 20 minutes to win the game. Yeah, um, and that's but, a mark against him. Like, you can't give him credit for doing that in that moment when he hasn't done it yeah. all year. So, I, you know, I, I think that, that that's exactly that that we we will not see that man united. Because if, if we saw that man united for 90 minutes, I'd say let's pack up. Let's go, you know, let's go out to the bar and just get a drink and not worry about this game because this, this United team has the attackers to just be able to run teams off the field. Um, but they won't play that way and they'll sit deep and they'll rely on defenders who are not good. Um, and I think that the likes of Gilfie and Theo and Richarlison will be looking at potential matchups against against the United center backs and against uh, Antonio Valencia, who's not been real good for them at right back so far this year either, and say, you know, 
if if they allow us to possess a little bit, we could work our way through these guys. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's a good thing that Mourinho hasn't been sacked yet, despite the fact that I think we can all agree that he deserves to be sacked. It's good for us, yes. Yes, exactly. 100% good for, it's good, good for us. For us, Good for us, exactly. And like you guys have said, those, you know, some of the most talented attacking players, young um, young attacking players who can really get forward. You know, you got Lukaku, you got Martial, Rashford, Pogba can play into the attack. Um, you know, you got Sanchez, who we'll talk about him a, a little bit too, but can provide something and really just kind of, they've all just been not been able to use their abilities. And that's really a shame for those who are Manchester United fans and those supporting Manchester United because there is so much talent in that team. But specifically on Alexis Sanchez, what has happened to him? Because he's really gone, you know, since that move from Arsenal, he has not looked himself um, and things are really changed around from now, not even starting games. Um, what has happened to him? Where did, has he gone? And is it just a product of playing in that, that Mourinho system or is it something more? And Adam, we'll go to you on this. Well, uh, I, I think the, the point that I might want to lead with here is that it's, it's true he hasn't been been starting, but it's also worth noting that United hosts uh, Juventus in the Champions League on Tuesday, and there's you know there's a real world in in which uh, Jose kind of rolls his A team there, and maybe we do see somebody like Alexis Sanchez next weekend. At least we can hope. Um, but you know, I think with Sanchez, it's it's probably a, a little bit of everything. I think uh, the obviously Mourinho's system um, does not help. Him, um, and I, I don't think that he and Lukaku are necessarily compatible attackers. Um, you see Alexis as a guy who's going to want to get on the ball and and try to get get in centrally. You know, he's a goal scoring winger. I think before anything else, and when you've got such a, a potentially dominant striker like Lukaku at the center, everything's going to have to go through him. And if your wingers aren't uh, aren't configured to to play that way, then you can run into problems. And I think when you put both of those things together, and surely now his confidence is just shot. Uh, you see the player that we've got in front of us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's been you know unfortunately for him because he is such a talented player. He, mm-hmm. he really needs to break out of this funk for his sake. I mean, obviously. We don't want to see that Not this on, week, on Saturday. Not this week. We'll we'll, we'll let yeah. it slide for a couple more weeks. To, but, uh, to to kind of illustrate how far Alexis has fallen in his last full season with Arsenal, which was sixteen seventeen, he had thirty goals and eighteen assists in fifty one games. That wow, is, uh, <laughs> that's a pretty good season, I'd say. It's, yeah, it's not bad. And then last season <laughs> when he spent. Uh, he kind of went half and half because he moved in January last season. He had 11 and 9, which is a precipitous drop-off, you might say. And this year, um, in, what, seven or eight games, he's got one. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I think there is, like, I think there's probably three things going on. I think one, Adam, as Adam mentioned rightly, that he and Lukaku don't really fit because they both want to be the focal point of an attack. 
Um, and that's fine, but I think it's also on the manager when you have two players of that talent to make them work together. And I, th- I think Sanchez is just in a bad run of form is the other thing. And I think it's also worth taking another pot shot at Jose Mourinho while we're here. Um, that United's transfer strategy, while he's been in charge, has been um, questionable. Uh, for a lot of reasons, Sanchez's, you know, addition being one, because I think that any smart footballing mind could have looked and said, you know, I don't know how I see these two players fitting together. Obviously, there's the well, whole center back fiasco as well. Um, but yeah, it's not just Sanchez and Lukaku fitting together. It's, as you mentioned, Sanchez as a goal-scoring winger, you have Anthony Martial and Marcus Rashford, Marcus Rashford. also goal-scoring wingers. Yeah. And, um, and just to add to your point, Chris, real quick about Sanchez's stats, looking at him, you know, with Arsenal versus Manchester United in that split season, only two goals for Manchester United in 12 appearances for them in the EPL, seven goals in the EPL for Arsenal in 17 appearances. Uh, or starts a, a two two substitution appearances as well. So significant drop off, even just in half year that he spent uh, at Manchester United. But yeah, and I mean, I've I've seen him play several games with United this season, and obviously a lot last season. And it, unfortunately, he's kind of got to the point where I look at him, and he's not really a guy that scares me that much. The guys on United who scare me are the younger guys like Martial and Rashford. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then just real quick, we talked about Lukaku a little bit. Um, you know, what have we thought of him overall as a player? Obviously, I feel he doesn't really work well with Sanchez there in the middle, but how do we feel he's been doing at Manchester United specifically this season and, and compare it to his, uh, you know, compared to his time here at, at Everton? Um, and Chris will go to you on this. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel bad for Rom because I never really disliked him. I, I, always respected him and his contributions and I don't think that he really got a fair shake in terms of the reaction to him leaving Everton. Jose, and again, we come back to this uh, overall point, um, Mourinho's not doing him any favors. I, The team is just not set up in a way to to let Lukaku thrive. I mean, Rom is so good when you turn it into a track meet and just let him bully defenders into submission and United's attack is just not set up that way. And he, there are not very many creative players in United's team outside of Pogba. Um, Mkhitaryan is gone and they don't play Juan Mata. And so I think you could see his decreased goal totals this season and kind of point to that. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a, a reflection on Rom's overall ability. I just think that, and this would have happened to like, this would have happened to me too. It would have happened to Adam Regino. You get, the site of a career promotion and you want to go do that. And it turns out that the situation is not as good for you as you might've expected to be. The grass on the other side was maybe not greener in all, in all the ways that he thought it was. Well, and and I think that, you know, there are, there have been moments, you know, and times, times where he struggled and not looked his best and certainly playing in Jose's system is, is not helpful, but it's, it's important to note that he, he does have four goals this year, and that's, you know, the the players who have more than four goals this year are Eden Hazard, Sergio Aguero, Harry Kane, and then your two weirdos in uh, Alexander Mitrovic and Glenn Murray. 
That's that's it. Those are the only players in the Premier League with more goals than him. And if you're looking at uh, his expected goals, his XG is at 4.25, and that's also top 10 in the league. Um, so he's he's producing at about the level you'd expect him to, based on what what his XG says. And they're both still, despite of all the other dysfunction at that club, and Lord knows we've talked about there's a lot of it. It's still at a pretty respectable level. So you know, overall, he's he's basically at a goal a goal every other game, and his XG says he's basically at a goal every other game. Yeah, if, and I, on, on any other tenth placed team in the Premier League, anyone would look at a striker scoring a goal every other game and say that guy's doing his job. Yeah, and it bears noting to your points there, the problem with Manchester United is not Lukaku. Yeah, no, 100% it's not. And anybody who tells you differently is selling something. Yeah, absolutely. agree with you guys on that where, you know, Lukaku, he is a very talented player. And, and like Adam mentioned, you know, he's having, you know, pretty good season so far for striker, especially a striker in, in Jose's system. And, um, you know, for his sake, because I think, at least on this panel, we all, you know, feel, think pretty kindly of, of Rom, um, for his sake, hopefully things turn around for him. But again, not this weekend. Not um, this weekend. But, uh, getting into this weekend, finally wrapping things up. Let's get into some predictions. Adam, we'll start with you. What do you see happening this weekend? I, it's a tough one, um, because I wasn't necessarily, all that impressed with the way that Everton played through 70 minutes today. Um, the last 20 is, is all well and good. Um, and it was what they needed. I'm glad that Silva, you know, pushed the right buttons. Uh, but at the end of the day, the fact that we needed to be doing those things to be able to beat Palace at home, uh, was troubling. Uh, I, I can't even with all of the struggles at United, I, I don't think I can see us as we're still trying to fit all the pieces together, go to Old Trafford and get a win. Uh, but I think we obviously catch them at a good time. I I go one one. I think that United is is leaking goals through those just awful center backs and will find one. But I think that they've got too much uh, in the attacking tank for us to hope to keep yet another clean sheet. Yeah, I'm I'm similar to Adam in that I think the opportunity is going to be there, and I think we're going to get teased in that we're going to probably I don't want to say dominate, but have the upper hand in various stretches throughout the game. I think it'll be one-one, and then I think uh, Marouane Fellaini will score the game winner. Oh God! Now I'm not going to be able to think about anything but that all week. <laughs> But how, oh, but that's the thing. How ever That's obvious. It's obviously going to happen. But why yeah. did you have to tell me? Now I have to <laughs> think about it. Oh, you <laughs> bastard. It's the most Everton thing possible. You go through the whole match worrying about Lukaku destroying you. And in the end, Jose throws on Fellaini and he's, he's going to score. Uh, of course set he is. Because we can't defend set pieces <laughs> <Yeah>. either. <laughs> By the way, exactly. Marijuana Fellaini. The sole reason for including Yeri Mina this weekend, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
throw it, it throw should, him on there. At the, yeah, yeah. As soon, make, as soon as Jose gets him up, you you throw uh, you, you get Mina up and say, all right, when he goes in the game, you're going in the game. I'll figure it out. We'll figure Just it out. Throw him Yerry Mina in the midfield. Man mark Marrowane Fellaini. That's what we <laughs> it, need. It we need Yerry Mina man marking Marrowane Fellaini. I mean, I'd sign up for that pay per view. Oh, I would watch it. I, I, we shouldn't do it because it's a terrible idea. But if I was a neutral, I would watch the shit out of that. And just briefly before we close, I, we talk about having all these enormous center backs in Zuma and Keen. Yuri Mina's on a different level than those guys somehow. I was reminded earlier this week that he, he is almost six foot six inches tall. Like that's, that's unnatural. That is a massive boy right there. <laughs> but uh, it, I, I agree with you guys in the end. I, I, I think, like Chris said, I think we're probably going to get teased a little bit into this one. I think teased into a tie, a 1-1 tie, like Adam said. I think we probably have a one nothing lead late in the game, playing well, and then, you know, something happens and, and we give up that, that goal and feel disappointed in the end on a game we could have had. but. Uh, one, one, nonetheless, a, a draw the and a point way. of traffic. The Everton way, exactly. But that is all the time we have for, uh, this week's school science radio guys. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Looking forward to the weekend. Hopefully a chance to really take on one of the big guys and, and take them down. Uh, thank you guys out there for listening and we'll talk to you guys later. <laughs>